0: We're continuing our sermon series entitled The Mission of the King, where we'll find ourselves for the next few months in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. In Luke chapter 3, our passage this morning, we're introduced to the character of John the Baptist, who is sent to prepare the way for the King. Beginning in verse 3, this is the inspired Word of God. And he went into all the region, this is John the Baptist, around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet this is Isaiah chapter 40 the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places They shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit, keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? What an appropriate question. And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors who came to be baptized said, "'Teacher, what shall we do?' And he said, "'Collect no more than you are authorized to do so.'" Soldiers also asked him, "'And we, what shall we do?' And he said to them, "'Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages.'" As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many exhortations, he preached good news to the people. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, no, it stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. 90 years ago, Dale Carnegie wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence Others. 2,000 years ago, John the Baptist wrote the book How to Lose Friends and Infuriate Everyone. <laughs> John the Baptist came not with a very popular message. He was not the most popular man on the block, but instead came with a very distinct message. Jesus is God, and therefore, if Jesus is God, then he is the king. And if Jesus is the king, and he is coming, make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was a prophet. Not many people realize that. Remember, there was 400 years of silence between the times of the Old Testament And the times we're reading about today in the New Testament, that Malachi was the last great prophet that that we have a written account from in the Old Testament. And John the Baptist is technically the last great Old Testament prophet that is announcing that what you have been waiting for, people of God, for centuries, the promise of an anointed one, the promise of a king, a Messiah, is finally here. And it was John the Baptist's mission and message and ministry to declare that the Lord has come, and he comes as a king. Therefore, make way for the Lord. Isaiah, that that John the Baptist is quoting from Isaiah 40 in particular, uses this great illustration of a road, of a path. What's interesting is that there weren't many roads in the ancient Near East. This was not something like we go outside today and see roads everywhere. Basically, if you wanted to get from point A to point B, you just followed where the last animals had trod. Uh, You see where the grass is worn out. You see the ruts in the dirt. That was considered a path unless you were a king. If you were a king and wanted to go from point A to point B, you would send your entourage ahead to make a way. For all of the kings, for all of the king's men, and for the entourage of the king, and for the entire company of the king, you would pave a way. You would make a way straight and make a way smooth for the king and all of his people to go along. That would often involve moving boulders and rocks and filling in holes to make a smooth road for the king. But this king that is coming, according to Isaiah, is unlike, every, unlike any other king this world has ever seen. We're not talking about moving rocks and boulders. We're talking about moving mountains. We're not talking about filling in potholes. We're talking about filling entire valleys. Mountains need to come down and valleys need to come up for the arrival of this king. And so, therefore, if Jesus is God, that means he's the king. And if the king is coming, the only appropriate question is found in verse 10. What then shall we do? And the question posed by the people of God 2,000 years ago is just as applicable today. If Jesus is God and Jesus is the king, I ask you the question this morning. What then shall we do? The first thing I want to point out in this passage if Jesus is the King, it means that we fully surrender. Full surrender, according to John the Baptist, is repentance all throughout Luke chapter 3, where in fact we're told in verse 3 that this was the basis of his ministry, that John the Baptist comes preaching a a baptism of repentance. To repent is to fully surrender to the king. But the question is, what does it mean, according to the Bible, to repent? You see, most people, particularly the people living in the first century, believe that repentance was merely external conformity. It was following the rules. It was dotting every I and crossing every T. But notice what John the Baptist is doing here. He is saying that you are to produce fruit that is a result of repentance. You see, repentance, according to the Bible is not just fixing our external character traits. It's not just following the rules, but it involves a transformation of the entire being. John the Baptist doesn't say, this is repentance to do all these things. All of the examples that John is giving Here in verses 11 through 14, whether it's the tax collector or whether it's the soldier, he's saying this is the fruit of a heart that has already experienced repentance. Big difference. Repentance is not just fixing the things on the outside. It's a total transformation of everything on the inside. It's not just coming to church on Sunday morning and saying, I believe in God and living contrary to the ways of God Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. It is a complete transformation of the entire being so that it produces fruit so that the whole world can see that this is a person that has experienced true repentance, not just external conformity but a transformation of the entire being. This is true biblical repentance, that you would produce fruit in such a way that it would show signs of a heart that has experienced repentance. So full surrender means that we fully depend upon Jesus as the king Christianity is not a message and a religion that tells us to just follow the rules. Christianity is full surrender to Jesus as the king where he takes my life, both private and public life. He takes my marriage and my kids and my home and my finances and my career, all of my life surrender to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But here's the problem this message of full surrender, this message of true biblical repentance flies in the face of what we're hearing in our cultural moment. Uh, We hear uh, from those that oppose historic Christianity uh, that we need Jesus to be adapted to our cultural norms, uh, that we like the nice Jesus. We, We like the Jesus full of love and grace. But a Jesus in verse 17 that says his winnowing fork is in his hands and to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat in the barn and the chaff he will burn, we don't like that Jesus. So we need to temper this Jesus. We need to soften this Jesus up and we need to adapt Jesus to our cultural norms in order for Jesus to be acceptable and accessible to the world and what John the Baptist is declaring is this. It is not Jesus' job to adapt to our cultural norms. It is our job to change our paths, to adapt our pathways, to receive the King. Jesus declares, if I am the King, you adapt to me. I do not adapt to you He doesn't come to adapt, accommodate our ways. He doesn't come to accommodate to our paths. But instead, if you surrender fully to Jesus as the king, part of repentance is you say, I will accommodate to him. It's not about building paths, but mending our hearts to fully receive him as king. It is not an option for those that belong to Jesus Christ to say, I will obey if... It is I obey fully because my heart has been surrendered. My soul has been surrendered. My will has been surrendered. My whole life has been surrendered to the king and I am bearing the fruit of repentance. What then shall we do if Jesus is the king? It means we fully surrender. The second thing in response to the question that the crowd asked, what then shall we do? It means we renounce self-righteousness It's interesting that John the Baptist comes preaching a baptism of repentance to everyone. He says, all must be baptized. Now, what's interesting about this is the Jews understood baptism. If you were a Gentile and converted to Judaism, you were required to go through the cleansing ritual of baptism because Gentiles were considered unclean. They were considered unpure. And so you would go through the cleansing ritual of baptism in your conversion from a Gentile to Judaism. But what does John the Baptist say? He says, everybody in the water. Everybody. He says in verse 8, don't use the excuse we have Father Abraham, that we are children of Abraham. What John the Baptist is declaring is a message by which you renounce your self-righteousness. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter who your mother and father were. It doesn't matter how good you have been because none of it Matters. The only thing that matters is that you renounce your self righteousness and you look to the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. John the Baptist says everybody gets in, Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter if you belong physically to Abraham or not, everyone in the water. It's interesting in verse 18 that it says that John the Baptist along with the message that he just declared, continued to preach good news. Has this sounded like good news so far to you? Listen to me. This is the greatest news. You see, for you to be reminded that your righteousness won't count is the greatest news because it takes the pressure off to be reminded that it's not about your righteousness, but it's all about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the reason verse 18 reads, this is good news, because your righteousness will send you straight to hell. But the righteousness of Christ will give you salvation, both now and forevermore." It is the greatest news this world has ever heard. So to surrender to the king, to follow the king, the only reasonable response is to renounce your righteousness and look to the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. As way of illustration, John the Baptist says in verse 16 that there is one coming, that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Do you know in the first century, that even a slave wasn't allowed to untie somebody's sandals. What is John the Baptist saying? You think I'm good? You think I'm righteous? I'm not even equating myself to a slave. This is the picture and the story of an individual that has renounced his self-righteousness, has humbled himself, and looks to the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone If you have not renounced your self-righteousness, you have not fully surrendered to the king. The only reasonable response, if Jesus is the king, is to fully surrender and to renounce your self-righteousness. But third and lastly, if Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the king, then third and lastly, we live with a hopeful outlook. Verse 15 says, In light of all this, The people were in expectation. Can you blame them? For thousands of years, they have been waiting for a king. For years, they have been waiting for a Messiah, an anointed one that would come to make the crooked straight, to bring light in the midst of the darkness, to turn this world upside down, to bring hope and healing to a world that was lost and dying. And because of that, because they understood that they were on the verge of receiving Messiah, their hearts were full of expectation. And I want to ask you this morning, if you belong to the king, how is your heart today? Is it full of expectation? Is your life marked with a hopeful outlook it doesn't mean that, that the Christian life does not come with challenges and tragedy. It doesn't mean that the Christian life is not full of suffering and obstacles, but it means that in the midst of those obstacles, in the midst of suffering, that we can be the most expectant, the most hopeful people on the face of this earth. You have to understand in the first century, they didn't even understand the full story. They didn't understand how this would end. They didn't understand in full measure the resurrection and the ascension. They didn't understand in full measure that this message of Christianity would be extended to the far corners of the world. They certainly didn't have the message of John and Revelation that would tell them that, yes, Jesus would leave. But one day would come again in glory to restore this world in the consummation of the kingdom. But if they were full of expectation, only knowing part of the story, how much more should we be full of expectation? How much more should we be the most hopeful, optimistic people on the face of this earth? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If we know how the story ends, does does that not inform how we live in the present? I am living proof, I am a testimony. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't understand how the story ends. I have seen tragedy firsthand, I have walked through the valley, and the only thing that has been in, allowed me and my family to walk through the valley of the shadow of death is to remember that it is only a shadow. That Jesus has taken death through the cross And therefore, we live in light of the end so that our hearts and our minds can be full of expectation. We can be the most hopeful people that this world has ever seen. Do you know what Isaiah says? It doesn't say that every valley might be, every mountain might be made low. It doesn't say that every valley might be filled. It say it will be. And there are Christians here today have failed to believe in the redemption of God. That you're looking at your current circumstances and you cannot believe that God would do anything to redeem this mess, but believe it in your heart. Believe once again that the mountains will be made low, that the valleys will be made high. Believe it. You can believe and live with a hopeful outlook and expectant spirit that what God says can be guaranteed it can be guaranteed in your life and you can live in light of that glorious promise. If you don't live with that hopeful outlook, I don't know how you get up in the morning. It's why our prayer lives are so boring and flat because we don't pray with a hopeful outlook. We don't pray with expectant spirits, but instead we live with this defeated mentality. But it's high time that we just stop shaking our fist at the darkness, but we live as people of the light. We live as people that belong to the kingdom of God. And it is our job to go out into the world, declaring that the king has come and that the king will come again. And in between those two comings of the king, we are to declare the goodness of God that the light has come into the darkness, and it is our job to build the superhighway of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for the hope and the healing of the nation. So I ask you, have you prepared your heart to receive the King? Have you made him room? Have you mended your heart in such a way that you receive and you have surrendered and you have fully repented of your self-righteousness and you look alone by faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. If Jesus is the King, there is no room for neutrality. You either fully surrender this morning or you fully reject him. But if he is the King, I pray that you would bow your knee this morning to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A Few years ago, I read a phenomenal book called Revolutionary Summer Revolutionary summer, the context is the summer of 1776, and it's an incredible story of what happened in that summer. Stories of courage, stories of heroism, uh, tracing the the story of the the courage of men like George Washington and and Thomas Jefferson, stories of James Madison and John Adams and Ben Franklin and the, the heroes that they were in leading this great nation. But I got news for you. All those men, they're all dead. Every one of them, every leader that we read about, lives and eventually dies, but one. He is the preeminent one jesus the christ the king of kings and lord of lords the promised messiah that has come in grace and will one day come again in glory he is the king of kings and lord of lords and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and if you belong to the king this morning you can go out those doors with a hopeful outlook With expectant spirits and expectant hearts, declaring to the world that we belong to the King, and by faith, you can belong to the King as well. This informs the mission of Christ's church. We pave the King's highway, and through Christ, we drive out darkness with the light of the gospel. So I ask you once again if Jesus is Lord, If Jesus is the king, what then shall we do? Well, if you belong to him, go out and prepare the way of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I pray right now for anyone who has not fully surrendered their life to the king, that has been relying on their own righteousness that has been carrying the heavy burden of trying to clean themselves up, depending upon their good works, that they would renounce their self-righteousness and they would profess faith for the first time in the King of kings and Lord of lords, that this today would be a day of full surrender, that they would place their faith and their trust in the King that left his father's throne laid down his life that took on the form of a servant so that we might live forever and ever. If there's someone here this morning or watching at home, would you come? Come and surrender your life fully repenting of your good works and looking alone by faith to the good works of Jesus Christ But I pray this morning that you would not be neutral to this Jesus. For if he is king, he demands a better response. You either fully accept him or you fully reject him, but do not dare. Just tolerate him. But by faith, would you bow your knee and receive salvation freely? Salvation that begins now and, and, and goes on for all of eternity. A salvation that has no end. That you, through faith in Jesus Christ, can experience the fullness of life both now and forevermore. May that be your prayer. May that be your response to this question. What then shall we do? May we surrender our lives to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.